Well, uh, this past couple of weeks has been exciting for me, just talking about Jesus as a champion. One of the things that uh, was impressed upon my heart with the vision that the Lord gave me at the first of the year, he just said to me, Philip, he says, don't preach unless you have a section that talks about Jesus. You know, how many knows that you can preach a long time and just be in all kinds of various topics that are really good and Jesus is kind of a side note, right? And so he just impressed upon me that there would, there would be sections of every message, no matter what the topic was, that spoke to what Jesus had to do with this as concerns him. So this past couple of weeks has been really exciting for me because it's really, that's, it's been about Jesus and as our champion. So this morning, uh, I have just felt impressed uh, to speak on uh, us being made in the likeness of Jesus. Amen? In his likeness. And remembering who's and who you are. A few years ago, Linda and I uh, were privileged to go to New York City, and we were there for a whole week, right there, stationed in Times Square, and did all the sightseeing stuff, the, the Statue of Liberty and the <clears throat> Empire State Building, Ellis Island. Man, I mean, we, we made the rounds. And in the evenings, we took in a couple of Broadway shows. We got to see Les Miserables and, and uh, The King and I, and uh, Linda was like in heaven. I mean, she was so enjoying our time there. And a few years later, this, uh, one of the young ladies that's very dear to us uh, gave us tickets to go see The Lion King. Now, I saw the movie and I liked the movie, right? And so getting to go to that production in San Francisco was out of sight, and it was literally something very special. But there's a scene in the movie that <clears throat> Nala is talking to Simba after he has basically been run out of the pride by his uncle Scar, who had disposed of his father the king by murdering him. So Simba's fearing for his life, and Nala's trying to talk to him about coming back and and reasserting himself and, and uh, with the aid of the rest of the pride kicking Uncle Scar out. And while she's talking to him, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's saying to himself, no, he says, that, that's, I, can't, I can't do it. You know, I'm not, I'm not up to it. And there's this, uh, this monkey, baboon, that's up in a tree. And he's singing some song about squashy bananas and something up there. And he's listening to the conversation and uh, uh, he gets in on it. And he's saying, uh, you know, like, who are you? And he says, well, who are you, you creepy monkey? What do you have to do with, with what's going on? You know, he says, I know who, who I am. I'm not a baboon. I know that. And he says, well, who are you? And he says, well, I know who I, he says, no. And that baboon comes down, he sticks his bony finger right in Simba's face and says, who are you? And then he leads him by the, by the hand. He leads him to this stream of water. 
and has Simba look into the water. And when he looks into the water, he doesn't see himself. He sees the reflection of his dad, King Mufasa. And uh, he says, he lives in you, right? He lives. And uh, it's something to remember who you are, you know? I, on more than one occasion, my, my mother or father, when I was going to high school and getting involved in this or that, they would have these little subtle conversations with me, you know, about who you are, whose you are. And um, I know that it helped to shape me, to keep me kind of on the track that I needed to be. But as a child of God, who we are is entirely dependent upon whose we are. Who do we belong to? And of the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about uh, what it is to be without God, to be destitute rebels against God. And in essence, all of us having that extra chromosome that we don't know what to do with. There's nothing that we can do about it except through God. Amen? And so that's where Jesus came into the picture as our champion because he paved the way, exhausting his very life, even to the, the death on the cross, a true picture of sacrifice. The other morning I was awakened with a, with a dream and I was with the Lord as he was walking up the Della de Rosa, the road, carrying the cross. And with all the people just, just packed in, just shouting sneers and mocking him and, and uh, just uh, beriding him, deriding him as a, as a person. And when we were walking, the thing that got me was... Uh, he was holding my hand, and we're walking through all of this, and we could, hard, we could hear it, but we could hardly hear all the jeering and the mocking and the berating that was going on, because even as we were walking through there, it was, it was basically dark with just a little bit of light that we were following going to the cross. But even as we were walking, the sins, the sins of the world were being poured out upon him in the midst of this. And that, that it is through him that we're saved. He took it. There's a passage, and if somebody ever asks you the picture of salvation, if you turn to 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, there's just a couple of verses there that really speak to who Christ is. It says, for what I received, this is Paul talking, I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised again, speaking to the power of resurrection. The Holy Spirit, you know, the Bible that talks about God the Father raising from the dead, it speaks about that uh, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, meaning the Holy Spirit was involved in raising from the dead. And then Jesus said, I have the power to raise myself. 
at the right time. He says, I'll just do it. I'm just going to come back to life. But this is all according to the scripture. And then, so it's speaking of this new life. And then the Bible talks about it's not just life. It's abundant life that, that Christ is giving us. And in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, verse 30, it says that it was because of him, God the Father, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I had a Sunday school teacher when I was a child. I'm talking about nine through 11, and uh, her name was Sister Everett. And uh, I think back to that Sunday school class, and it just brings a big old laugh, almost a laugh. I almost want to laugh out loud because it was about 10 or 12, the most unruly young boys that you could just imagine. We didn't have air conditioning in the church, so we had to have all the windows open, and there weren't screens. And so it was not uncommon at all for two or three to jump out of the window and go get them a drink at the faucet outside and then come back around and climb in the window. Well, Mrs. Mrs. Leverett, she was this, uh, such a sweet lady, and she, she had a way of kind of controlling us boys. Now, we lived in one of the poorest communities in California. Uh, in fact, it probably still is one of the poorer communities in California. And so it was, it was young boys that many of them were just like raised by the hair of their head. But Sister Leverett, she had a way of making us to know, even then, that we were somebody in God. And for us to remember whose we were, right? And it was a sad day when she decided to step down. I don't think she had any idea the impact that she was having on these young lives. Because you know what? You don't have to be old to go through something. I mean, you can be a child and be going through hell on earth. Being put up and put down and uh, not enough clothes, ashamed of your home, ashamed of, of, uh, of, of what you have on your back and, and coming to church with no shoes or, or no socks or, or whatever the picture was that she had a way of saying, you are a child of God. You are special in his eyes. A child of the king. Second Corinthians 3, there's a passage there that really speaks, I think, to this whole thought. 2 Corinthians 3 and 18 says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, you know, speaking to this, it talks about that uh, coming face to face with God and the veil is removed. Now, when Moses came into the presence of God, the Shekinah glory was so intense and so fierce that when he came down off of the mountain, 
they told him, Moses, veil your face because we can't even look at you because the presence of God was so intense. Then it says that he continued to wear it even after the glow had gone because he didn't want folks to know that the glow was gone. You know? But there's a reflection that occurs as we experience Christ's presence, his passion, his thought, the workings of his Holy Spirit, that our, our lives are being transformed into his likeness every day being transformed day by day, progressively, we become more like him. Now, I hope that's so for everybody. Uh, You know, I read Chuck Swindoll's books, and I know it really speaks to me because he said it's like two steps forward and one step back, you know? And that's a disaster for people who are, in particular, young people who are living in homes where their parents aren't Christians. Because if they ever slip up, their parents are very quick to say, I thought you were a Christian. You know? Well, if that's what a Christian's like, I certainly don't want to be a Christian. But we're coming into the image progressively of Christ. And when we do so, what happens is others pick up on the reflections. And others can learn what it is to be a Christian through our lives and see how the Lord has impacted us, our likes, our desires that speak to who he is. There's a partial transformation right now. Uh, But there is coming a day when we are going to be fully transformed. There's a passage in John, 1 John, The second verse of the third chapter of 1 John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, of God, a child of the king. Truth is that when Christ gave his all for us, even to the death on the cross, it resulted in far more than just an acquittal. You know? Uh, Ephesians 1 and 5 says that he predestined us to be the adopted sons through Jesus Christ. Because of what Jesus did, it is God who has given us, Romans 8 and 14, speaks of the gift of adoption. Now, it's one of the most gracious things that God ever did to adopt us. You see, if God had chosen, uh, Jesus could have gone to the cross, sacrificed his life, and, and all of our sins would have been forgiven, And God could have declared us righteous and then patted us on the back and said, be on your way. He's God. He could reign supreme over over all that we do. Uh, Be, you know, uh, even even give us a good life as, as king over all of us and who we are. But he didn't just do that. He adopted us as his very own. 
And in that same chapter, the eighth chapter, of, uh, no, the uh, fourth chapter of, of Galatians, it talks about this adoption process. And it says that, that he has made us, the King James Version says, a joint heir with Jesus. Now, how many knows that you can be an heir and get a dime? Right? Or be an heir and not get anything? Right? That it's all given to the cat. Right? <laughs> and then there are firstborns that give, get a double portion. That doesn't mean that they get twice, you know. They, they, it just means that if there are seven portions, right, they get two of them. A double portion. So as a joint heir, it just means that he has considered us as an heir on the equivalence of Jesus. Not just his subjects, but his sons and daughters. Now that first verse in that same chapter speaks to what that's like. It says that, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. Everybody say lavished. I don't know that I've had much lavished on me in my life, but uh, that we should be called the children of God. Now, Linda lavishes me with love. I shouldn't say that. Uh, I buy her flowers once a month, whether she needs them or not, right? Now, if I was to lavish her with flowers, there would be a corner in the house that you couldn't find a flower right? And that when she opened the front door to, to get a bouquet, there wouldn't be one bouquet, there'd be 22 bouquets sitting out there on the, on the porch. That's lavishing, right? When God lavishes us with his love, it means it's overboard. It's extravagant to the degree that God is showing his love to us. It's such a profound favor to be seen by God as his sons and daughters. Now the Bible speaks of contrasts here. The Bible talks about those who do not know the Lord and it says that they're in uh, first in uh, Ephesians, uh, the second chapter, it says that they were objects of wrath. And, um, but then the contrast is in John 1 and 12 where it says, but to all who did receive, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The song says, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Amen? Amen. Then the second line says, I have light in my soul for which long I have sought since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Since Jesus came into my heart. Floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. All through Jesus. Oh man. Everything 
It's a thing of beauty where our spirit, our minds, our emotions, our self-awareness, our powers of choice, our very lives are guided by the Holy Spirit into his likeness. To be made like Jesus. There's a song that says, no longer enslaved by fear, right? No longer cringing, no longer feeling worthless, but new, alive, developing courage and hope and beginning to behave, think about this, behave like God's very own children. Um, adopted into his family. I had an experience a few years ago. Uh, I was taking a training course to become an instructor with this company that I worked with and, and gave two-day seminars to groups of 25 to 30 to 40 to 50 people um, for Apple, Microsoft, General Electric, Applied Materials, Sears, just, just name the company, General Electric, that I would go in. Well, I was taking this training and uh, for one of the, the seminars that I was going to teach. And about three hours in, it just dawned on me. I am sitting in a room where every person here has excellent interpersonal skills. There was nobody that stood over in the corner with a scowl on their face. There was nobody that tried to dominate the conversation. There was nobody that overspoke or underspoke. It was a room full of folks with wonderful interpersonal skills. You say, why is that important? Because it's one of the blessings of God when you are part of his family that he gives you good interpersonal skills. When you think of the fruit of the spirit, that's what they are. They're how, they're, they, are, they, are, they are fruit that helps us to be a loving, giving, caring, peaceful, patient individual. That there's a sense of joy that just rides with them. When you get into a conversation with one of them, whether they've had the worst day in the world, you will not know it. Adopted. You know, closing about being in his likeness and adopted into the family of God. You know, <clears throat> as a parent, I bear the responsibility, I bore the responsibilities with Linda to raise our boys up, to clothe them, feed them, teach them interactive skills, uh, good manners. Uh, at first, I was a little fearful when they went to stay at somebody else's home, tell you the truth, uh, because uh, they weren't always angels in their own home, you know? Uh, I ran up the stairs when I told my boys to stop fighting. My oldest boy just loved to pick on his brother, Sam. And it didn't hurt him, he just picked on him. And so I'd holler downstairs, up, upstairs to him two or three times to knock it off. So man, and I went in a huff up the stairs. And <clears throat> I forget what it was. They, were, they had a little basket 
about this big around that hung over the top of the door. And, and you know, it was about that big, and they'd play. Well, my oldest son, he was, he was about a foot taller. And, of course, he would get the ball, and he'd take it from Sam. Boy, Sam would just have it, you know. And so Sam said, Daddy! I said, I've had it. I was trying to watch Gunsmoke, whatever. <laughs> you couldn't pause it, right? You can't pause it back then. So I'm hustling upstairs, and I got there, and I, I grabbed that basket off the top, and I was just going to wrench it in two, but didn't wrench good. <laughs> and, and I tried it again, and uh, my boys are sitting there, and they're just kind of laughing at me, you know, on the bed, like, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and uh, I said, boys, I said, do I have to draw you a picture of, you know, what it is to act right? And they're just sitting there, you know, their eyes are like really big. And I left and a couple of days later, a week later, I had to go back up there. And I, I said, they said, Dad, draw us a picture. <laughs> How would you like to raise kids like that, right? <coughs> but it was my responsibility to do so, to raise my boys. And... Uh, if I had it all to do over again, I would do it all over again in a New York minute. I loved raising my boys. And, uh, but you see, here's the thing. We're in the family of God. I want to tell you, you see, as much as, as I had a moral responsibility to raise my children, to raise them right, with right manners and right understanding and training in the word and as a part of the family of God. You know, you can't take that for granted. A lot of people aren't raised right. There are homes where children get taken out of their homes because the parenting is wrong. I was a probation officer for a year in California. It didn't take me long to understand that a lot of the kids that were on my, in my caseload, uh, their parents needed to be on my caseload more than the, than the kids did. You know, there's a moral responsibility. If we're in the likeness of God, there's a moral responsibility that we have to, to do well, to, to treat folks right and treat our children right, to raise them right. Here's the thing. God bears the moral responsibility to take care of us. And by that I mean to love us, to provide for us, to teach us his ways, to protect us, to make a way for us, to instruct us. And here's what I know, is that he does, he does, he does. He takes care of us. Amen? Amen. Praise God. In his likeness. So I have a couple of questions for you. Are you conscious of God's influence in your life? His drawings, drawing you out, lifting you up. Are you conscious of a desire inside to yield to that influence? Whatever you sense that God is speaking to you, to yield to that. To see whether he's opening a door, whether he's closing a door. Now, a lot of times when God's wanting to close the door for me, I want to stick my foot in the door, right? 
Because sometimes I think that, you know, you didn't give me long enough. I, if I just had a little bit longer, I could straighten this out on my own. Yeah. Right? And he's, he's closing, you know. Maybe he's wanting to close it. Sometimes he's wanting to open another door, but I'm not really seeing that yet. Hello? To yield to his influence. That this is an evidence that we are sons and daughters of God. Lastly... Are you offering resistance and following him, listening to him, to consider this very important scripture? Romans 8 and 16. And this is from the Living Bible. For his spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we really are God's children. He speaks to us. <clears throat> And there's uh, somebody said, well, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I could say he speaks to my heart. But then John gave us some very real examples. One, he said, you know that you are a child of God because you love the brethren. You love being with God's family. You love being in his house, fellowshipping with one another. We have a picture just a couple, three weeks ago of uh, somebody asked me once, how do you get invited to go to eat with, with the church group? I said, there is no invitation. You just ask somebody where they're going and then just show up, <laughs> right? And so about two and a half weeks ago, there were 25 that showed up to eat. And, you know, I, told, I, I, I asked the guy, Don't you, do you have a piano? We'll just have another church service here, you know? <laughs> <laughs> in his likeness in his likeness and for we have a, a fairly large audience that watches with us worships with us on any given Sunday I, I just speak to you that if there are issues in your life that you have that have dogged you that have held you back, kept you back. Asking Jesus into your heart. And when you do, uh, he just has a way of bringing us to a new place. He has a way of, of opening a door. He has, has a way of pointing us in a direction. And the Bible says that, that he restores what the canker worm has eaten. And that's powerful. That's a powerful witness of who Christ is. When we're made into his likeness, it's a process that only he can do. It's him, his power, that he's making us into his likeness. There are any here, any watching, any here, to say, you know what? I want Jesus in my life. I don't know what anybody's been going through. I don't know the issues in the home. I don't know the issues financially. I don't know the issues health-wise. But whatever it is, you cannot do better than to just ask Jesus into your heart. 
and to say, dear Jesus, I just come to you now. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. Lord, I need your help. I, I want your spirit deep inside of me. Your presence. That over and above the circumstances that I'm dealing with, there's this presence there that I know that you're with me. That your hand is there to help me, to guide me, to lead me. And so, Lord, I just pray right now for every person here that's watching that you ask Jesus to come in. Jesus, I ask you into my heart. Into my heart today. Forgive me of my sins. I desire your presence in my life. And so, Jesus, we just have come to you now. We're asking for your help your guidance, your understanding, your care. And Lord, may the joy of your Holy Spirit come over every life where there has been anxiety that there's peace that comes in. That's indescribable, Lord. And so we just thank you in advance for your help as we have asked you in and we become a part of the family of God. In Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen, Amen, Amen. Praise God, praise God.